Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to Exposing Mold, the podcast, where I, Keely Severson, Eric Johnson, the original mold warrior, and Alicia Swamy meet to discuss the latest information related to toxic mold, our progress in getting the 1988 Holmes definition of chronic fatigue syndrome recognized, and the novel theories to the sudden increase in mold illness around the world. We are excited to discuss today's topic because Eric Johnson has been fighting for recognition on this issue for the past three decades. If you remember from our last episode, we left on Eric discussing the growing concern of the mystery outbreak in the Lake Tahoe flu in Incline Village that led Dr. Peterson and Dr. Cheney to alert the CDC. Eric, tell us, tell us a little bit about what happened when that call was placed. Well, the response to the CDC was that since Epstein-Barr virus can't cause uh, an outbreak, it's got an incubation period of 40 days, that Dr. Cheney's description of a wild flu-like illness uh, did not match the chronic Epstein-Barr virus theory, so it couldn't possibly be that, and they didn't want to respond. But over um, several months, the numbers kept increasing. It went from about 60 to nearly 200 people. And with the new Epstein-Barr virus serology test, more and more people kept showing up with reactivated or new onset Epstein-Barr virus, the the kissing disease. And this was um, unprecedented in the fact that adults were getting sick with this. The kissing disease is sort of a, a teenage disease and for teachers who weren't really doing doing anything except sitting in a room together to get this was um, so unusual that finally the Center for Disease Control did decide to send two epidemiologists out to investigate. In September of 1985, Dr. John Kaplan and Gary Holmes, the future author of the chronic fatigue syndrome definition, arrived and began a, an investigation In spite of popular belief that they were here to solve the mystery illness, they had a very limited mission. It was really just to determine if what Dr. Cheney reported was the Epstein-Barr virus syndrome or not. They um, only looked at serology tests down in the basement of Dr. Cheney's office. They didn't really do any work on examining the um, circumstances of the outbreak. They simply determined that this was not compatible with the um, 1985 chronic Epstein-Barr virus syndrome. Something was going on, but they didn't know what. And Dr. Ch- uh, Dr. Holmes, after a couple weeks, left Incline Village making his conclusion that it was not EBV and made an offhand remark to the newspapers that something was going on, but it, it wasn't an outbreak of EBV. The Chamber of Commerce that was trying to cover up the scare of the the outbreak immediately took this to mean that Dr. Cheney and Dr. Peterson were quacks, that there was no basis for their call to the um, CDC, and launched in trying to drive Cheney and Peterson out of town for creating a false epidemic of hysteria. Since Dr. Cheney's testing was completely compatible, it conformed to the um, Epstein-Barr virus syndrome, He went back to the newspaper and said, for the health officials to say there is no outbreak is not true. We can stand up in a court of law and prove 90 cases, which of course he could. But this angered uh, Dr. Gary Holmes, 
So he didn't want to come back. So the investigation was actually dropped at that point. The uh, Center for Disease Control didn't do any, any more follow-up on the Tahoe outbreak. And any further investigation was only done by Dr. Cheney, Dr. Peterson, and Dr. Anthony Komaroff, who came, uh, came to town. He's a Harvard physician who had been seeing this Epstein-Barr virus syndrome on the East Coast back in Boston, but only in a sporadic, isolated, endemic form. He wasn't seeing any cluster outbreaks. So what, happening, what was happening in Tahoe was unusual to him. He came out and stated that this was definitely different. It was not the same as what he was seeing, but it was close enough because of the reactivated EBV that there were commonalities. So various uh, theories began to go in different ways. Dr. Komarov began presenting the syndrome, the uh, entity, the way he saw it in its isolated form. Drs. Cheney and Dr. Peterson kept treating it as an epidemic outbreak. Researchers from all over who weren't seeing epidemic outbreaks all went off in different directions with their own theories. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Is this when, um, I don't know who did this, but is this when one of those agencies decided to tell a lot of these people that were sick that it was just lifestyle? Yeah. Um, the uh, most common theory for the reactivated Epstein-Barr virus that was sweeping the country was that you weren't taking care of yourself. It was genetic. It was your tough luck. Something you did wrong, either smoking or bad diet or drugs or, you know, bad genes. They, they just couldn't really see any pattern to it. And that's what scared people so badly about the Tahoe outbreak is because to have a wild outbreak cluster shows that your lifestyle doesn't matter. This just slammed down everybody. And it appears that the Tahoe outbreak was actually triggered by a marathon runner who had been in China and came back, went to see Dr. Peterson, and within about a week, this is when the vague, isolated form that he had been seeing suddenly turned into a huge outbreak with hundreds of people coming into his office, all complaining about this strange China flu. So he reported this to the um, CDC and NIH, and they were concerned due to the contagious nature of it. But at the same time, they wanted to disguise the uh, outbreak because it was very bad for the economy. People were refusing to come to Tahoe. The um, Chamber of Commerce contacted their influential political friends, a lot of money in the ski resorts at Lake Tahoe. And it's believed that they pressured the CDC into trivializing the outbreak in order to uh, bring the tourists back. So rather than point at Lake Tahoe as being a, a center for further investigation, the CDC acted like the uh, entity to be studied was only the vague Epstein-Barr virus syndrome. And in this way, they were able to revert it back from the scare that brought them out to Lake Tahoe back down to a vague syndrome of reactivated EBV, which was probably your own doing. Did, is this when they decided to manipulate the um, titers on the serology tests? No, uh, for about uh, two or three years, I suppose. 
the Epstein-Barr virus was very diagnosable. I mean, the CDC themselves classified it at first as a disease because it was very unusual and it fit their own parameters. So they defined the chronic Epstein-Barr virus disease as something that could be positively diagnosed using the EBV serology test. But then Dr. Cheney had called me into his office, told me that I was EBV negative, though I had all the other signs of immune deficiency, all the other parameters of the Epstein-Barr virus syndrome, but I was completely negative for EBV. So that's when he assembled 19 people in total to show that something larger was going on, an epidemic of some kind of immune deficiency. And this is where the confusion of the cluster with chronic fatigue syndrome comes from because the evidence seemed to maybe point to this virus or that, but when all of the people involved who are looking, who are being looked at by the doctors don't fit that viral profile, and then we have other things like a virus from China coming in and affecting a bunch of people, and a cluster in this sick building, and a cluster with these kids who I think maybe couldn't play volleyball. What does this point to in the bigger picture, Eric? in your opinion? Well, the blame was on some kind of mystery virus, an, an unknown agent, maybe a retrovirus, maybe some new unknown virus that simply hadn't been identified yet. And no matter how hard they looked, they couldn't find one. They looked at mycoplasma, they looked at Lyme disease, but no consistent cause could be found. And Dr. Holmes, demanded that Dr. Cheney provide some healthy controls for comparison for his EBV serologies. So Dr. Cheney, Dr. Peterson went out in the community, found healthy people and did EBV testing on them and found that some of these people who had no signs or symptoms of any illness whatsoever also had the fluctuating EBV profile. So that's where they effort to create a uh, definition for the disease fell apart because healthy controls had the same immune damage. The um, Holmes Committee themselves said that this effort to isolate this new entity um, was only a starting point. The chronic fatigue syndrome definition was just a, a rational basis for further investigation. It wasn't intended to be the sum total of what the appearance of the disease was because they knew that there was some kind of epidemic of immune dysfunction that was sweeping the country. Still, the major blame was on some kind of unknown virus. And in the middle of all this, thanks to my sensitivity to mold, I saw that all the clusters were in sick buildings. So I called their attention, Dr. Cheney's attention to this and said, well, I don't want to interfere with your investigation into a virus but it wouldn't hurt to examine the sick buildings. And the other members of the uh, clusters, the trucking teachers in particular, were also asking, find out what's in these sick buildings. Well, at this time, toxic mold wasn't in the literature, it hadn't even been discovered yet. The first peer-reviewed paper on toxic mold, the black mold, wouldn't appear until the next year, 1986. So there was nothing in their literature to indicate that mold is anything more than a, an allergy. And they did write a paper, the Chester and Levine abstract, suggesting that 
because of this association with sick buildings, further investigation be done, but this was never followed up on. Could we um, just back up for a second and to those that are unfamiliar with sick buildings, Keely or Eric, can you define what a sick building is exactly? Yeah, in uh, 1976, the uh, World Health Organization coined a, a new entity called the sick building syndrome that was to study why people were becoming ill in certain buildings. Back at this time, the culprits were considered to be carpet chemicals, formaldehyde, legionnaire's disease, uh, possibly a concentration of pesticides, but mold wasn't even on the radar. I know this is hard to believe, but from the 1970s until the 1980s, mold wasn't even considered as a cause for sick building syndrome. And even when this began to emerge in, in 1986, um, doctors didn't pick up on it. In fact, the indoor air quality profession didn't pick up on it. The indoor air quality profession was testing for chemicals and they didn't even begin to look into mold until Ruth Etzel brought the world's attention to the toxic black mold stachybotrys with the 1994 Cleveland incident of pulmonary hemorrhage in uh, infants. So really, we had years, decades, where sick building syndrome was emerging as a discrete entity with no attachment to toxic mold. I uh, thought that I could address this by placing the black mold that was in the clusters of chronic fatigue syndrome together with the sick building clear up some of this confusion and get research into toxic mold. But that's when all doctors who had made up their minds that they already, they knew nothing. They, they wrote abstracts saying, well, we don't know what's going on. And they treated this more like an edict to be enforced rather than an inducement to do further investigation. And you've been hitting roadblocks and getting any investigators or researchers to really dig into stachybotrys and those clusters ever since. Total, total roadblock, zero willingness. Has that surprised you? Very much. It represents a complete failure of the medical system, no scientific curiosity, researchers not only failing to perform their, their duties, their function, but actually fighting, working to stop any progress in this regard. I mean, if you have such clear evidence of a black mold growing, professional remediators identifying that mold, putting it directly together with sick people that are under scrutiny by the Center for Disease Control, and they don't put the pieces together, they're a hindrance to science. We might have to dig into that more on our episode of Academic Insanity. <laughs> As I wrote in um, Dr. Shoemaker's books, there's, there's something clearly wrong with the medical mind. Their systems approach is horribly flawed. So they actually fight rather than show any, any curiosity about this. Now I can understand if you've got a few random people out there with some kind of crazy idea, but this is the original chronic fatigue syndrome cohort. If one claims to be a, a researcher into this syndrome or into mold, where they have to wonder about the health effects of mold, it's basically an obligation for them to respond to direct documented evidence. So going back to the sick building that you 
believe that this cluster had gotten sick from. Was there any uh, statue? I don't know how to say it. Statue Botrys. Am I saying it correctly? Stacky Botrys. Yeah. Um, so, do you believe that there was Stacky Botrys found? What is there evidence that it was found in that building to point to that conclusion? Yeah. Uh, it was reported in the newspapers years later. So in the late 1990s, after uh, toxic mold began to hit public awareness, the schools had conducted cleanups, taking it upon themselves to rip out the carpeting, to try to address the um, what was making the teachers sick on their own. But by the time the, the 90s rolled around, there was enough public awareness that they knew what to look for. So they hired the best remediators, the top mold testers in, in the world to come to the um, Tahoe Truckee Unified School District and test all the buildings. And lo and behold, they, they documented stachybotrys at that time. So chronic fatigue syndrome researchers try to insist that because it was only discovered later that this doesn't reflect on what happened during the 1980s. But um, science has to start somewhere and to rule it out because they didn't investigate it doesn't make sense when the circumstantial evidence is so strong and because the people, you can still ask them how they got sick, why they got sick, what they were pointing at. If um, researchers adopt this kind of attitude, Semmelweis's hand-washing clue would never have been pursued Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin would have been blocked immediately because he's just one researcher and that's just one petri dish. What was an interesting aspect of that situation is that there was one teacher at that time who refused to be in that same room to do his work and he decided to go off and do his work somewhere else. And that whole cluster that stayed in that room got sick, but the guy who you know, decided the heck with this, I'm going to do my work in nature, did not get sick, correct? Correct. Yeah, I was a student at that school, so I was aware of that sick uh, room that the front part of the school years before. And I thought, well, I could learn something from this original cluster. I, I should examine this. And since I know about this effect, what about that, that teacher? Because when I was at that school, I had to do the same thing. I had to run through that area and I couldn't really park out in the front of the school. Something was out there making me sick and I had to park well away from the school before I got any relief. So when this cluster happened and it was described in Hillary Johnson's epic book, Osler's Web, which is absolutely the must read book about the history of chronic fatigue syndrome, Right there, up front in the book, is a description of how Cheney and Peterson called the CDC directly because of this teacher cluster. And in the midst of all these teachers getting sick in one room in one certain area of the school, this one teacher decided that he had had enough of this nonsense. He went out to great papers in his camper, and he didn't just sit in the parking lot. He actually drove a mile away to Donner Lake to sit and look at the view and be out of the zone. And he was the only one who made a full recovery from that, that flu that came through. So I proposed to Dr. Cheney that we should study whatever's in that room, how we can avoid whatever that is, 
and use its information to help figure out the other clusters where people were describing the same kind of thing. And it just happens that that marathon runner, I uh, was living in Incline about six houses away from that marathon runner, and I caught that flow. Well, nothing that Cheney and Peterson did, all their drugs, their um, acyclovir, intravenous acyclovir, barely, barely put a dent in this illness. And then she moved away. She moved out of town and had a remarkable recovery. I thought that was astonishing that after all the nutrition, the drugs, the various things that they had tried, nothing helped. And all she did was move out of town and got better. And about the same time, I moved from the lower part of incline to the upper part of incline. And somehow I was out of a zone of microbial activity and I started to get better. So that's where I, I really thought, that's it. I've got to draw attention to this. There's something going on here and we've got to find out what it is. And thank you for doing that. And what seems to be a, a common thing that I'm seeing is that, like with us, um, going through our mold um, issues and everything, like this illness or whatever that has, you know, sickened us, the toxic mold, shakes up your life so much that you're desperate for answers and you want to find a solution. And I feel like that's probably what happened to you, right, Eric? Because these people that were supposed to come in to solve this issue, figure things out, investigate, kind of just said, uh, there's just too much going on. We're just going to call it this and be on our way. But you were like, no, this is, this is crazy. The people are stuck. People cannot walk. People are extremely debilitated. Something needs to be done here. We need to investigate. We need to figure that out. And I commend you for spending so much time doing that. I don't think Keely and I would be here if, if you didn't continue on that journey of trying to figure it out. And we're just trying to help you continue on that, that, rec that recognition amongst these, these big players here, the CDC, the NIH. Like, there's still a refusal to look into it, but we really need to go back in time to understand what happened at ground zero so we can move forward into the future to make some solutions for people that are suffering. Absolutely. Thank you. What I thought was really interesting is that you pointed out that people who got better left the area. It's like, you know, the, the, the guy that, I guess the guy actually ended up getting sick and he left and he got better, but he was a part of a different cluster. He was a part of the mold cluster. The lady with the China virus, she had something totally different, but she left and she got better. So it's like, it didn't really matter what, what illness was going on. There was just something going on in this environment that was lowering everyone's defenses to get these different type of illnesses. And as soon as they left the area, they got better, right? And so as a, you like to point out, as a person who is investigating this, as a person who is extremely passionate about finding a solution, you're pointing this out and no one's listening. But that's, that's an important factor. That's an important factor to, to consider the environment being an issue and not necessarily these little entities that are causing illness. Yeah, I, I had believed that whatever happened at Tahoe must be a purely local phenomenon. Um, I had seen similar people down in the Bay Area who were becoming highly reactive to certain buildings. But at Tahoe, 
for so many people to get sick all at once. I mean, if it wasn't a virus, what was it? Well, we had that algal bloom. We had a surge of microbial activity. Something seemed to blow in on the atmosphere and stimulate microbes in such a way that all of them became more powerful. But the toxic mold, because it's mold acting up in conjunction with a very powerful toxin, trichothecine mycotoxins, that seemed to be doing most damage. But what we needed to look at, in my view, was why microbes all over the place are, are surging with this power. What are they doing? So I began to look for more examples of sick building syndrome and try to compare how they had behaved in the past to what they were doing currently. And they were clearly getting worse. The abstract that was written based on Truckee High School also included a cluster of teachers in Elk Grove, which is down near Sacramento, California, about 100 miles away. And it was the same kind of thing. These teachers were desperately ill, and they kept pointing at microbial activity. And at this time, the test showed nothing. They couldn't identify anything that was known in their literature to be pathogenic. So later on, after toxic mold became well known, I called up these teachers, and I asked them, did you find stachybotrys? Yes, they did. I go, wow, that's that's the same toxic mold that we found. And then same thing, um, office building in Washington, DC. A sick building syndrome that had gone unexplained for years was eventually found to have this toxic mold. So this was more than enough evidence for the CDC and NIH to follow up on, and they just flat out refused. Well, thank you, Eric, for that information. There were so many factors at play, so many things were going on, so many illnesses happening, but there was something causing people's immune systems to lower their defenses. With our next episode, Eric is gonna go ahead and discuss the 1988 Holmes definition of chronic fatigue syndrome. And he's just going to discuss how that definition has changed over time. And uh, we'll learn more about that. I look forward to learning more about that and always questioning Eric about um, his methods and his, and his uh, rhyme to reason for everything. Um, but again, thank you all for listening. Please, please like, share, comment on our content. Um, the more we're able to get this information out there, the more people that we are able to get on board, the more donations that we received, the better, because at the end of the day, we are stronger in numbers. And all we're trying to do is provide you with the most accurate information that we have, that we can share, that will go ahead and help your journey through mold illness. And again, thank you to those who have donated. We are so grateful and appreciative of you. It's just been really, really great and it's been really helpful. So please, again, feel free to go ahead and donate or support us by liking, sharing, and commenting on our content. Thank you again, everyone, and we will see you on Wednesday.